To be like, hello and welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. Do we want a clean cut of that? No, I don't think we do. Okay. <laughs> and I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 125, Pope Leo the Sixth. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not going <laughs> to say anything. This one feels like it should be a big one, is it? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Which Leo is the big one? There are plenty of big Leos. I mean, Leo the 10th. I know our big boy and the first one. Yes. But, but there's also Leo the 10th, which is the Medici Pope. He's going to be a lot of fun. Leo the 13th is always, of course, very interesting. But yeah, no, not Leo the 6th. Last week, you might remember Pope John X took us on quite a dramatic journey. And I have to say, this week is going to be nothing like that. So, I just, I know it's historically accurate, but like, sometimes we get these banger episodes and other times we get just a fizzle. Yeah, and that is sort of where we're at because you see John sort of basically embodied all of the scandal and the drama that the pornocracy is known for, right? And then Leo is going to embody all of the lack of information that the Seculum Obscurum is known for. So, Great. <laughs> yeah, the two back-to-back, maybe not the most exciting, but also very, very accurate in terms of what this period is known for. You could just play these two episodes and you've got this entire period kind of sorted so the pornocracy jazz hands <laughs> in the words of horace k man quote the two immediate successors of john the tenth are mere shadows of whom we barely know their exits and their entrances oh so. gosh are you gonna repeat that in the next episode <laughs> i mean i could but you just you have it here shadows mere shadows fry is it a ghost pope? Probably not even that. Nope, just... No, Eugene Eugene gets to be the ghost pope. Eugene is doing a fabulous job as a ghost pope. He's great. So let's get into what we actually have. Leo was born in Rome, and his father was called Christopher, who was a primacerius under Pope John VIII in the 870s. And no, this is not the Primacerius Chris of Chris and Surge that we spent so much time talking about <laughs> in Hadrian's episode, episode 97, but it is the same position, and so we know that Leo's father was at least a powerful and influential man working under the Pope. Wasn't that like a hundred years ago? I mean, yes, but it's not that <laughs> far away in episodes, really, so there's a primacerius called Chris. Just have to point it out. Now, one source, Georgina Mason's Companion Guide to Rome, suggests that Leo was a member of the Sanguini family. But when I consulted our trusty Papal Genealogy by George L. Williams, he did not confirm this. Also, I'm pretty sure that I read a book series that had a stupid vampire called Sanguini in it. Yeah, I was like, is that some sort of silly blood? 
You know what? Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure that it was the Anita Blake series. So oh there's my some God. <laughs> shared trash oh from our God. past. Wow. Yeah. That is how we met. Now you know the lore. <laughs> also, sanguini means you bleed in Italian. So that, oh, um, you bleed. Yep. You. <laughs> Not me. That summarizes up the caliber of her work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sanguini. So, either way, Leo entered the church at some point and was appointed to be the cardinal priest of Santa Susanna around the year 916. Then, in 928, Pope John X was seized by Marozia and her new husband, imprisoned, deposed, and died. And then, Marozia selects this man, Leo VI, to be his replacement. Now, unfortunately, we have no idea why she chose Leo or what sort of connection that he might have had with the House of Tusculum. His father was a primacerius quite a long time before Theophylact became the puppet master of the popes. So it's not necessarily that. There isn't any sort of obvious connection here. Nevertheless, he is Marozia's choice. So he is elected, quote-unquote, and consecrated in June of 928. Elected, air quotes. Yeah, elected, not at all. And we're back right here to straight puppet poping, because we don't see Leo making any statements about the fate of his predecessor, or really any attempt at all to be any sort of independent figure. It seems like he recognized that he was going to be a puppet pope and was comfortable with that. So really, all we know about the actions of Pope Leo involves Dalmatia, which is part of Croatia, and the Synod of Spilato. Spilato, which is not Spilato? Correct! <laughs> this is not <laughs> Spilato, this is Spilato, which is modern-day split in Croatia. And this synod dealt with the ecclesiastical hierarchy of the bishops and clerics in the Dalmatian church. So initially, Salona was the first established diocese in Croatia under St. Domnius the Apostle to Dalmatia, which was now the established diocese of Spilato. So it had sort of become Spilato the diocese over time. And now another bishop... Gregory, the Bishop of Nin, was challenging whether this Archbishopric of Spilato should be the Metropolitan for the region, which is the reason that we have the calling of the Synod and appeals to the Pope to clarify what the actual intended hierarchy for the Dalmatian Church is going to be. And so... Hang on, I am going to use Midjourney to create us a Dalmatian dressed as a priest? Do you want him to be a bishop? <laughs> the bishop, yes. These are the archbishops of Nin and Spilato. So, Croatian Dalmatian. <laughs> Croatian Dalmatian. Plantation? <laughs> <laughs> and so Pope Leo did exactly that. In a papal bull, Leo confirmed the traditional primacy of the diocese of Spilato slash Salona slash Split ordering all bishops to fall into obedience to him, and sent the current archbishop there, John of Salona, a pallium as a big so there. And then, if that wasn't enough, 
He then decides he's going to actually abolish Gregory's bishopric of Nin for not having an ancient tradition and transfers him to another diocese called Skadrin, which feels extra petty. Hey, you're going to challenge the hierarchy of your church? Well, I'm just going to get rid of your department and move you. Amazing. (laughs) Now, I also found mention. I'm going to pause it there so I can look at your Dalmatian. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm saving this to go with this episode because he's amazing. (laughs) He's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, I don't know why his outfit is spotted too, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to get some good use out of this, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> what, my mid-journey subscription? Yes, right? We're going to make so many weird Pope-related things, starting with a Croatian Dalmatian bishop who's being moved departments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's being moved departments. <laughs> Yeah, look at him. He's holding it. He's like, what? <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm now going to, to start this other part over so that it makes more sense. Fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> I derailed. So that's pretty much all we know about him. However, I also found mention, but only on Wikipedia and in Rupert Matthews' The Pope's Every Question Answered, that suggested that Leo also issued an order that castrati, aka church singers who were castrated in order to preserve their pure and high voice, were not permitted to marry. This seems kind of strange and out of the blue. So I did go looking for further proof of this ruling and found nothing other than to confirm that at least by the 17th century, there was indeed a ban on a castrato getting married. And at that point, (laughs) castrati were all the rage in the 17th century. So we will definitely have more to talk about regarding this whole process much later. Interestingly, though, the practice of utilizing castrati in the church choirs was in effect until 1878, when another Pope Leo, Leo XIII, finally banned them. And uh, while I was doing the research on this particular section, I also found articles like Why Castrati Make Better Lovers, which was a rabbit hole I definitely didn't expect to go down. Even though this is the pornocracy. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, why castrate are better lovers. This is a, a whole a whole subject. <laughs> but that's pretty much it, because then Pope Leo VI dies sometime in February 929 for reasons unknown. Of course, we have the suggestion by Wendy J. Reardon that he may have been murdered by Marozia, But we don't have any evidence for that or any reason apparent that she would need to get rid of him at this time. I mean, if his image is anything to go on, he was maybe just old and tired. So he was buried at St. Peter's. Of course, his tomb was destroyed for new St. Peter's and no epitaph survives. So that's Pope Leo VI. Is that really it? That's it. It's not a big one. Are you feeling the uh, the mere shadow of the Seculum Obscurum now? Yeah, I sure am. <laughs> so it's time to rate this man. Papatum. 
infallium. From the evidence we have, he was nothing but a puppet pope. So he was not assuming or clawing back any level of papal prestige or power or influence or anything at all. We have the Synod of Spilato confirming the traditional ecclesiastical hierarchy of the Dalmatian Church. That's it. That's it. (laughs) I guess that's kind of like a one. I think that, yeah, it may be like a token one, a one between us. Because, yeah, it's something, but it's not special. No. Yeah. Token one. And the only reason he's getting a token one, I'm I'm not going to lie, is because it has spawned this beautiful Dalmatian bishop. (laughs) It did. If you had just gone, oh, yeah, that's, that's a thing that happened, like, it'd probably be a zero. So... Scoring inconsistencies. <laughs> Fructus prohibitum. Nothing. Seculari impactum. Nothing. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. Yep, there's just nothing. So are you ready to see this man? Fossium sanctus. Well, we have to compare him to the Dalmatian bishop, and that's probably going to be bad. He's just going to lose. And, you know, I'm going to send you this photo. I'm going to preface this by saying he already knows he's going to lose to the Dalmatian, and his face makes (laughs) that very clear. Here you go. Oh, yeah. No, he's disappointed that we made a Dalmatian. Yeah, he might have gotten some points if it were for the Dalmatian. Actually, I have to say, I want to give him some points because he's got quite a fancy robe on, and we haven't seen that in a while. We haven't. They don't generally have so much detail in papal robes, but he's fashion. He's got like a huge gem. Yes. Right in the center of his chest, the brooch is very fancy. I mean, he looks kind of like good-natured and just sort of like... Soft and gentle, and... He's looking a lot like Danny DeVito. Like, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, he's a much gentler Danny DeVito, don't you think? Like, Danny DeVito (laughs) has too much energy for this man. This man is fully prepared to accept his loss to a Dalmatian gracefully. (laughs) That's not happening with Danny DeVito. (laughs) No, Danny DeVito would yell about whores. He'd start blasting. (laughs) (laughs) So what do we think... Of his face. Uh, you know what? I can give it a two, and then maybe we should oh. tuck him into bed. <laughs> he does look like he needs to go to bed. I'm going to go a little higher than that, because I like the robe. It's pretty fancy. He looks gentle, and um, it's not his fault that he has to compete with a Dalmatian, so I'm going to give him, like, a four. And when we score that out, that six becomes a 1.5. So he's at least getting some points. Tempus Pontificus. June 928 to February 929. That's eight months. And he actually gets rounded up to a year. So he gets a score of 0.25. <laughs> I love that we just rounded up to a year. Yep. Well, you tried. Well, I generally round up to the quarter of the year. So within those... Half a year, or if under half a year, we round to a quarter. So yeah, he gets lucky in this one. And that's really all he gets, because his total score is a not very impressive 2.75. 
Jesus. Okay. I know he's not dead last, but that is low. Yeah, no, he's definitely not dead last because out of 125 popes, he's 121st place. There was, of course... Papa Bull. Yeah, there was, of course, three popes ago who scored a one. So <laughs> there's that. But I would like to remind you that in our last episode, Pope John the Tenth scored a 42. Yep. So, Shadowed for sure. This guy is a wisp. Uh, he is a mere shadow, for sure. Absolutely. So do I need to ask you a question about papaliness and pizzazziness and impact? Not and, really. I'd rather no. give it to the Dalmatian. <laughs> okay. Well, the Dalmatian we knew was bullworthy from the moment of his creation. <laughs> so there's that. So no, unfortunately, he does not have a papal bull. So that brings us to the end of our episode, but we do have some thank yous to make, so we would like to absolve of their temporal punishments Haley, Peter Foxhoven, Michael Five, and Manfred Jorg. So thank you for signing up to our Patreon. Ego te absolvo. And with that, we can say to the rest of you, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye. Pontifax is edited by Greg Gassman. Greg is the host of the wonderful papal history podcast, Popular History, which is history through Pope-colored glasses. At Popular History, you can also find daily content miniseries like Cardinal Numbers, Ranking All of the Cardinals, and coming up soon, Habemus Pointsum, where Greg and I will discuss all of the papal transitions. If you need to reach Greg, you can do so at popularhistory at gmail.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com. And we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifex on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifexwishlist. Or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifexpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm.